Thank you, Kim. Please open up your Bibles with me to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. We're going to be beginning with verse 16. And as you're turning there, let us also pray as the word is opened up for us this morning. Lord, we are so grateful once again for this time we've had over these past five weeks just to see how we truly can flourish in tumultuous times. And I pray that as this word is brought forth about rejoicing in chaos, I pray that you would think our thoughts, that my words would truly be yours, that you would take our wills and bend them to your own, and we would delight in that will, and you would take every single one of our hearts and set them on fire with love for you to go forth and bear fruit. For all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we've spent the last five weeks in this little book of Habakkuk. And to help us, as you can see, to, to know how to handle troubling times. Whether these times are society-wide or personal evil times. We've seen that Habakkuk has learned that the great nation of Babylon is going to overrun Judah. And the description at the very end where it says there will be no figs, no grapes, no olives, no fields producing food, no sheep. This is a starvation level and a societal social collapse. Much like world, at the end of World War II in Europe. When the winter came about, the following winter, many people starved to death in Europe. Okay, lots of people died during the war, but people continued to die. It's an absolute nightmare for the people who live there. And Habakkuk sees this. It's coming, and he faces it with poise, patience. And he, in fact, what he's saying in today's passage, it's possible for us to face these times with such sustained joy in the midst of tumultuous times. You know, when your fig trees are blossoming, when the money is there, when your health is there, it's easy to say, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Have you ever heard that in the past four months? No, no, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. And Habakkuk found a way to say even that because he accessed the goodness of God even in the midst of a coming Babylonian invasion. And he was overwhelmed with the goodness of God. So how do you do that? Well, it's a key. It's not a secret. It's a key. And that's called rejoicing. And so we're going to focus there. How do you rejoice in the Lord in the midst of our pandemic? In the midst of societal collapse? In the midst of uh, election year chaos? Well, Habakkuk shows us how we can flourish. 
is the key is rejoicing. Verse 18, when Habakkuk says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And what we're seeing in these verses from 18 and 19 is a repeating, a remembering, and a correct rejoicing. All right, that's where we're going this morning. A repeating, a remembering, and a rejoicing. Let's look at this. First, repeating. Well, we see this in the verse. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the, my God, my Savior. Notice what's happening here. It's, it's a, a deep pattern that if you read the Bible, you'll, you'll catch on to. I will rejoice. Then he comes right back and says, I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Why does he say it twice? I mean, Strunken White's Elements of Style, if you, at least that's what my freshman composition class at George Mason University taught me, you, you, you don't have to repeat something, you know? Uh, they said, don't repeat something. If you have a good editor, they say, well, you don't need to say that. You've already said that once. But the Bible constantly repeats itself. If you look carefully, it says the same thing, just a little bit differently. I will rejoice in the Lord, and then I will be joyful in the, my God, my Savior. It's a little different. And the second time you get it, you go a little deeper. The second time you get it, your understanding is a little more rich. Repetition, repetition, and repetition. I mean... For crying out loud, why four Gospels, right? You know, you, you know, by the time you finish the third Gospel, you say to yourself, yeah, I know he rose on the third day. You say, yeah, I know he ate with his disciples the night before he died. Why do I have to learn about this a fourth time? Because every time it's the same and yet it's a little different. It goes deep. Your understanding is richer. It happens all the time in Scripture. In Genesis, God warns Pharaoh and sends him two dreams. Well, Joseph gets two dreams about the future to help interpret those dreams. Jesus' miracles. So many of the miracles are told in the Gospels at different perspectives and at different times. Jesus feeds 4,000, then he feeds 5,000. And I've heard, I've heard skeptics say to me things like, well, it's pretty obvious it's the same thing, and the Gospels basically have two contradictory events. Jesus fed 4,000. He wouldn't come back and feed 5,000, which tells you they've never read the Bible because nothing in the Bible happens once. It's always repeated over and over and over again. Michael Wilcock, uh, when I was at Trinity, is a, a wonderful British scholar, came and he taught to us, the whole students and faculty, about the importance of repetition. He quoted Psalm 62.11, which says, Once God has spoken it, but twice I have heard it. He says, God teaches us by this method of repetition through Scripture with good reason. The human mind is incurably centrifugal, forever flying off in a tangent. 
It must be brought back to the great central truths of the gospel over and over and over. Our minds must be made literally to concentrate, to concentrate, to concentrate. So here's my point. Why in the world and how in the world did Jesus, as he was dying upon the cross, have the presence of mind to quote Psalm 22.1? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only way Jesus would have been capable of quoting that verse is because it had been drilled into him over and over and over. As he read it, he meditated on it, and he reflected upon it over and over. And as you do that, you begin to worship. You take a text and you study it. Then you take that same text and you talk about it with a friend. Then you take that text and you study it with your small group. Then you take that text and you hear different perspectives on it taught by Tim Keller and Alistair Begg and Colin Smith and all the great preachers of our day. And every time you get it, it goes a little deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you hear Gene preach on it and he messes it all up. The only way we are transformed is to renew our mind by repeating the word of God to ourselves. Because your heart cannot love what your mind does not know. And the discipline of repeating over and over and over again is crucial for us to flourish in the times in which we live. Secondly, we also remember. If you look at all of chapter 3 that Zach began preaching on last week, it's a shigianoth. It's a song. This, is, this, this would have been set to a harp of some kind and sung. And what's happening is Habakkuk is recalling the Exodus. You look at chapter 3, verse 5, he talks about the pestilence and the plagues. Well, that's how he got him out of, of Egypt. You have the shaking of the ground. That's verse 6 of chapter 3. That's Mount Sinai. Then you have the trampling of the sea in verse 15. That's the crossing of the Red Sea. And what Habakkuk is doing, he's going over the gospel as he understood it. The children of Israel were in slavery and bondage, and they didn't have the power to rescue themselves. But miraculously, God came and intervened and entered history, and he brought them out. They were saved not because of what they did. They were saved because of what God did, and that's the gospel. And here's what Habakkuk is doing. He's telling himself that gospel and remembering it. And then he arrives at verse 16 that Sybil read for us first. And he said, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. I have peace. Even though the Babylonians are arming their bows. I have peace. You see this throughout the Bible. Psalm 42, the psalmist says, verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Who's he talking to? It's not a prayer. Psalm 103, you know this one. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who's he speaking to? His soul. He's remembering 
What he's saying is, I connect what I know about God and God's performance in the past to my present. My favorite text to preach on is Mark chapter 4. You guys may remember it. It's the, it's the calming of the storm. It's one of those famous accounts where you got all these professional fishermen with Jesus and they're on a boat in the middle of the night out in the Sea of Galilee and there's a storm. And certainly they've seen storms before and they're absolutely panicking. Master, don't you care? We're going to die here. And he's asleep. And they wake him up and Jesus stands up and goes, peace, be still. <sighs> storm is calm. And he looks at them, and he's tender. If he was Coach Sherman, he would say, you sorry fools. What is the matter with you? Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, you know who I am, boys. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? He's connecting what he's done in chapters 2 and 3 of Mark to their present circumstances. He says, you know who I am, but you're not connecting it to your present conditions. You see, if we're going to rejoice in times that we live in, my friends, we have to go back to the gospel and go back to the exodus. We go back to what God has done. You know who he is. You know what he's done. What does it mean that Jesus raised from the dead? What does it mean for me now? And when you do that, you repeat it. Over, over, and you remember over and over his faithfulness. And last and third, therefore, you rejoice correctly. Because there's an incorrect way to rejoice. And, you know, I got to a thesaurus, and there's a ton of references on rejoicing. Most famous is Paul in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice he commands it. Well, what's happening to Paul in Philippians chapter 4? He's chained to a Praetorian Roman guard. And he's writing, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So whatever it is, it doesn't mean don't worry, be happy. All right? It's not about happiness. No, it, it's, it's a discipline. Whatever rejoicing is, it can't just be feel happy. It's not just being mentally stoic. What's happening here is they are treasuring. He's savoring. Kind of like you savor a Garotz Steakhouse in Omaha, Nebraska, New York Strip, cooked medium. You don't just that steak you savor it you taste it it's wonderful rejoicing means to take something that has happened and ask myself what does this mean for to me how should I feel about it look at what God's done look at how he is and all of a sudden you find yourself adoring that's not the same thing as thinking you're appreciating. You come to value the Lord. You come to praise. And then you get into God's insight. You see, 
Habakkuk, all of chapter 3, is looking at the Exodus. And that's the gospel as far as he knew it. And he's thinking to himself, and he's reflecting upon this. He's repeating it, and he's remembering that even though the country is crumbling and it's socially falling apart and my future is uncertain, I have a deep peace. I can rejoice in who God is and what he's done. And we have something better than Habakkuk had. Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out his disciples. And he gave them the power to heal and to cast out demons. And that's what they did. And they said, wow, Lord, even the demons are, are listening to us and subject to our name. And they got real excited. And Jesus' reply was what? Rejoice not that the demons are subject to your name, but rejoice that your names are written the Greek is more engraved in heaven. Back in those days, to have your name engraved in stone meant you'd accomplish something. It's an award. You're valuable. You're significant. You've done something. And here's what Jesus is saying to them in Luke 10. He says, don't you dare look at out those things that you've accomplished Look at who you are. Don't look at your accomplishments and say, I built this business. I got accepted to this school. I've, I've done something. I'm somebody. I built my financial portfolio. Jesus says, no, you're savoring the wrong thing. Savor me. Stop rejoicing in that. Because that's becoming your identity, and when those things disappear, you'll get crushed. And they will disappear. So he's reminding them, recognize that your name is already engraved in heaven. You're already loved. How? Because of the ultimate exodus. Luke chapter 9, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And all of a sudden, he's transfigured in this glorious, white, shining figure. They see Jesus for who he is, God. And along come Moses and Elijah. And he starts having a conversation with Moses. And Moses, they're talking to him about Jesus' exodus. I would love to hear that conversation, you know. Lord, I did an awesome exodus, but yours is going to be amazing. Because Moses risked his life to liberate the children of Israel from political and social bondage. But Jesus Christ, the ultimate Moses, rescues us not only from political and social bondage, but for evil and sin and death itself, just like Kimmy was talking about with our kids. The first Moses risked his life to liberate people. The ultimate Moses risked, gave it all for his people. Not only that, the first Moses sacrificed the lamb and put the blood on the doorposts of, so the children of Israel could be forgiven and liberated. The ultimate Moses was the lamb who was slain. It was his blood so we could be forgiven, so we could be liberated from sin and death. The first Moses engraved 
on precious stones the names of the children of the tribes of Israel. And he placed them on the breastplate of the high priest, his brother Aaron, as Aaron would go to the tabernacle to intercede for God's people with their names written on the chest. But the ultimate Moses wears your name on his chest because of the cross that he did for us. And everything that was done in the Old Testament is just a type and shadow, the book of Hebrews says, of the greater ultimate Moses, Jesus Christ. And when we place our trust in him, he sees you as a precious stone, as a ruby, an emerald, a diamond. That's what you have. That's who you are. He sees absolute beauty because Jesus gave his life, didn't just risk his life, and shed his blood you can absolutely know right now that your name is written. It's engraved in heaven as you trust in him alone. Use that to rejoice. So here's what I want you to think about. When you get discouraged about wearing that mask, when you look at the the pandemic and, and all the things that are spreading around, when you get discouraged, when in this election season the civil discourse is gone, when you observe the chaos in the cities that are being destroyed by the anarchists, your 401k goes down a little bit, your name is engraved in heaven. So therefore, you think about that. And if somebody rejects you, rejects you in your faith and you've lost your reputation, but your name's written in heaven, that's approval. And that's lasting. And that's real love. And when we're able to repeat and remember and rejoice like Habakkuk is, is talking about here, we're given deer feet like those giant mule deer in the Colorado Rockies. You ever seen those freak shows? I mean, they're way up on the mountains and they're standing in places that are absolutely terrifying. He's given us a metaphor because there's times in our lives God calls us to go places that we don't want to go. But he gives you the, the footwear, the Air Jordans, that will get you where you need to go. Because your name is engraved in heaven. My friends, we can flourish in these chaotic times. And no matter what, we can remember that in Jesus Christ, we have all we need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it's possible for us to rejoice just like this. Not for our suffering, but in our suffering. Because of your son, Jesus, who led the ultimate exodus upon the cross. And we recognize that if our brother Habakkuk was able to remember the Exodus and then say, 
I have a deep peace in spite of my sorrow, and I can rejoice in these circumstances. And when we look at that great exodus and that ultimate Moses, and we see all that Jesus has accomplished for us and proven who he is because of the resurrection, we can rejoice in that, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will rejoice in that. Help us right now to take that into our hearts as we walk through this week and take us with the hinds feet you've given us to the high places you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.